welcome to Noisy Fulfillment, a Desperate Housewives rewatch podcast where we take you back in time episode by episode of ABC's Desperate Housewives. If you love what we're doing and would like to support us further than just as a listener, which we absolutely thank you for, you can really help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star review and subscribing to this podcast. That really helps people to find us because analytics equals search results. We'll also read it on the air, so if you love to hear stuff you've written on the air, here's your chance. Also, you can become a patron by contributing at any monetary level by going to anchor.fm slash noisyfulfillment. You can also buy us a virtual coffee by tipping us in our virtual tip jar at ko-fi.com slash noisyfulfillment. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash noisyfulfillment where you can comment on stuff, react to stuff, and also message us. You can also email us at noisyfulfillment at gmail.com. Oh, hello, Amanda Baum. Hello, Rachel. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Oh, sorry. What was the most or least desperate moment of your week? The least desperate moment of my week was getting to make a decision to work from home on Friday. Ooh. How's that? It was great. It was great, great, great. Yes. Not something Got good. to watch my dog or like put my feet on my dog underneath <laughs> my desk while I was working. It was, I felt like a human being. It was awesome. Did you feel like you're getting away with something? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. That's, a, yeah. that's a thing. So, yeah. How about you? What was the least or most desperate moment of your week? I think it was both and it was submitting my dissertation. Yay. Yeah. So exciting. It is a culmination of a long time. And I was going, it, when it's all over and done with, and probably about the time that we send out this episode, I thought about what my status would be on social media. And it would be basically if you've met me in the last 10 years of my life, I was either finishing a bachelor's degree, two master's degree, this uh, graduate, this um, dissertation will be hopefully my doctoral degree, growing a human baby inside me, or getting married. So. Oh. I can't wait to like know who I am outside of those things that have happened in ten years. I don't. I, I, I would like to know. If I, yeah, I'd like to know if I have any hobbies. That's a lot for ten years. Yeah, like that's a lot of really big stuff. Yeah, yeah. So congratulations. Thank you. I'm excited for the next chapter. Not unlike the ladies who lunch episode episode sixteen, season one, the ladies who lunch, written by Alexander Cunningham and Arlene Sanford. And did you know that this is our second episode that was written and directed by a woman team? It's been twelve episodes since we've seen. Oh, sorry, no, not even. Oh no, eleven episodes because the last one was Come in Stranger. Mm, let's go, girls. Nice job. And it first aired March 27th, 2005. Okay. Do you want to take us to a summary, Amanda Bob? Yeah. So everybody had a little bit of stuff going on this week. So we get to find out about the arrest of Maisie Gibbons and all the fallout from that. There is a headless outbreak at the Briarcliff Academy. Susan has her ongoing heartache with Mike and we, we watch her have an opportunity where she could get herself up and out of it. So that was a strange and funny segment to watch. The Solis's plumbing takes a dump, literally. And the Paul Young, is she Angela? And did she live in Utah question gets answered. 
Awesome. That's, so, all, that's it. Just know, no kidding. And it's like, what comes next? And I think that's the question that we're all asking right now, right? Is what comes next? Yes. And so in the cold open, we have Mariella saying throughout even the most respectable of neighborhoods, you can hear the sound of scandal. Some scandals announce themselves with a shout, some with a whisper. I liked the cable guy telling Tom, throw me $20 and I'll hook you up with free porn. You And the look Tom's face, like, you know, he did it. You know, he was going to do it. He's looking around to see if anybody was able yes. to confirm that he did it so that, you know, again, if integrity is what you do when nobody's looking, way to fail, Tom. And again, that's not a knock on porn. It's a knock on cheating yeah. the system. Yeah. Not I'm being a shyster. Oh, anyway. Some with a bang. And once in a great while, there comes a scandal so deliciously sorted, its roar draws out all other noise. And we see Maisie Gibbons kind of being taken to task. Uh, She's going to call it entrapment, but she's being arrested for prostitution. Or it says solicitation. Solicitation, yes. Like a formal term. And she runs away in her negligee and does a face plant in the yard in full negligee and thigh highs. Like, of course, she's not going to have that face plant moment in her, you know, workout gear. (laughs) Did she have her stilettos on? I might've missed it. I feel she probably did. Okay. I feel she probably did, but I can't remember. And I, I watched it three times and I still don't remember. I watched this one three times too. Um, it took so long for it to finally be able to do it. So I had to I had to refresh my memory. Sorry, my dog's having a moment under the table. You should Just know that for- nobody can see that except me. That's why we don't do makeup or hair for this. Dog. Um, okay, so I have to ask, what kind of prostitute is Maisie Gibbons. You've been doing this for a while now, apparently, and you don't have a better way of vetting your clientele? Yeah, I don't feel that you could do as big of a deep dive on somebody in 2005 as you could do now. So, you know, maybe she just, I don't know. Yeah, but yeah. So here's where I'll go with that is not having a firsthand knowledge. And if somebody would reach out to me, if you work in this particular part of of sex work, I would actually be fascinated. But one of the best ones that like the the ways in which I was informing my knowledge on this was from a book called Super Freakonomics, which is by two, well, an economist and a journalist. And there's Freakonomics, which got made into, I believe it was like a Netflix documentary. (laughs) And, And I liked it. And then there was the sequel which was super Freakonomics, and they interviewed a prostitute who was uh, working in Chicago, uh, like, a, like what we, I guess we would call like kind of a top echelon prostitute. And mm-hmm. she called herself Allie. And they talked to her about what it was like and what, you know, what she did to make sure that she was being safe and make sure she wasn't going to get arrested. And one of the things that they talked about was how her process was that she only met potential clients in particular spaces where it was going to be safe. She also insisted on their driver's license and their business card so she would know where they worked. And the day before their date, she would call them at their office and say that she's very very excited to for their date, but particularly so that she could, you know, establish sure. with them that if anything were to happen, it's very clear that I could find you or, you know, she's not alone in this kind of operation. She said she had only been, had one thing go 
particularly wrong in the time she was doing it. I want to say it was a few years that she was doing it, like five years that she was doing this job. And it was that somebody paid her in counterfeit bills. But when she showed up to his office the next day, he quickly located some real cash. She's like, that's really the only thing that's ever gone wrong. And I was like dying laughing as I'm reading this. And I hope she, she was, I I, I followed her since then through their work. Obviously I don't know who she really is, but multiple people have asked her to write a book and things like that. And so I keep hoping that her book will come out at some point, but I suppose you don't want to out yourself. And you know, there's probably a lot of layers of mystery here, but long story short, first of all, it's a great book. Second of all, come on, Maisie, what are we doing here? (laughs) Yeah, that your people. Oh, kind of a professional. Although, you know, Fairview is a small town, so maybe she feels like she knows everybody. But then, like, that seems a strange way to think about it when you think about, yeah, it's a small town, so everybody is going to know your business eventually. That's- like, you can only keep things quiet for so long in a small town. I've said that to early career professionals in terms of where they choose to live and where they choose to work, mm-hmm. especially younger teachers who might still be going out and doing things that you have every right to do. You are an adult. However, it's a little awkward, or at least it was for me, to be having a drink in the same bar where my students' parents were, or my students would walk in. I'm like, it's a bar. You're not supposed to be here. So, you know, that separation, I never understood that with Maisie. I didn't understand why she was doing it in her own bedroom where she is with her husband either. But you know what? Not my jump off. Mm-mm. Nope. nope. So nope. yes, the scandalous arrest of Maisie Gibbons would prove to be the shock heard around the world. And, you know, no good gossip goes without being spread as quickly as possible. And it seems like the only thing that is spreading quicker than gossip over in Fairview is head lice. Yes. Yes. So we have an outbreak of head lice at the Barcliffe School and the headmaster, headmaster, principal, administrator, whatever, whatever sure we thing. call them is walking around talking to the parents about it. You know, we have a no blame policy. Mm-hmm. And of course the Scavo boys come out scratching and you know, they will, you know, they will come out scratching because sure. it's, of course we're going to link this to them. And the cardigan moms give Lynette like some serious side eye, like, Ooh, yes. Okay. Lynette. So you just kind of see those knowing expressions on their face. So we taught older students. So I didn't have this come up too much. My colleagues in elementary school had lice outbreaks all the time or things like that. But I only really saw it one time. And it just happens. I, In terms of head lice, I used to think about this differently. And then COVID happened. So when COVID happened, I started saying, you know what, we just need to treat everybody like we would if they had pink eye or head lice and just not get that close to them, right? Yes. Like, wear yes. your mask, do your thing, you know, we could all, we could all get through this because I remember that I, you know, I suffered from this. We got head lice as kids. We just yeah, did. Everybody and did. It was like chicken pox. Everybody got it. Now I got the chicken pox when I was 25, a totally different story. We'll get there in another episode of Desperate Housewives when they talk about chicken pox. But something that was always, you know, it, it did seem like you had an STD or something like that. Your kid is patient zero and you got to make all these shame calls, not different than COVID, I guess now, but in in particular, it's pretty harmless. It's not going to cause respiratory failure the way COVID can. And if you have a comorbidity, it's, you know, head lice isn't going to make it worse necessarily. I think it grosses people out and you know, it is what it is. Something that was really helpful to me as a parent, my kid hasn't had it yet, but I'm prepared, you know, it just happens. But something that helped me is I, when I was reading 
the memoir of a very, very successful woman in the tech world. She talked about being on a private plane and her kids were scratching their head a lot. And she's like, you know, maybe their head hurts from having their hair up or something like that. And she got back to the hotel and she discovered that her kids had head lice. So she was supposed to do like a welcome event. It was like a convention or conference or something. (laughs) And she spent the night de-lossing her children's hair. And I just figured if it can happen to somebody who has that much wealth and privilege and is running around in a private jet and her kids have head lice, you know, it could happen to all of us. And it's not a marker on being a bad parent. No, for sure not. Yeah. So I like that there's a no blame rule, but women don't blame yourself. Parents don't blame yourself. I don't know why I'm making this so gendered. It's like parents don't blame yourself. Mm-mm. Nope. In middle school, it doesn't happen a ton, but it's okay. it's a couple times a year. Okay. Interesting. And I never even know what kid has it. I just know somebody has it. Yeah. So. Well, good. See, no blame policy. And if you don't need to know, you don't need to know. Right? Right. Right. Uh, But good job, Lynette, telling the boys to stop scratching their heads. It's like telling somebody don't sneeze. That's power suggestion. Right. Right. What's next? What what happens next? So over at Carlos and Gabby's house, the bathroom sink and the tub start backing up with brown stuff. And it's very clear that they're going to have quite a mess on their hands. This is literally my worst <laughs> nightmare. I have to move now. Great. Thanks. Mm-hmm. And Carlos knows. He sees it coming up in the sink and then he sees it coming up in the bathtub. And of course, Gabby's in the shower and he knows it's about to rain shit on Gabby oh in the shower. Gosh. Oh, I'm so sorry. That is just the worst. So when Mike comes over to investigate, he says that it's going to be between six and 7,000 grand minimum. And he says that he's willing to do it at cost. That is a lot of labor to do for free. I mean, bless him, but he's got to eat too. Right, right. Although we're fairly sure that he has other income besides his plumbing business. Fair enough. You're right. There's money down there. I don't think he's starving. That's true. I do think it's very sweet that he says, you know, if money is an issue, it seems to be that not only is he not, you know, fine not taking any money for his labor, but he seems to, he's going to front some of the cost. I mean, it's just incredibly generous, but Gabby, you know, absolutely stops him in his tracks that they're just trying to prioritize their expenses. And obviously, sewage into my bathroom is going to be a priority for me. Yeah, what else? It's almost like saying the foundation of your house isn't a priority. Well, then you don't have a house. Right, yeah. So we have to take care of that. Mike also says that he's surprised that they called him given his recent arrest and Carlos flashes of his ankle bracelet. Like, we're all in this together. Solidarity, brother. And then, you know, he says innocent until proven guilty. And as he and Gabby are walking away, she's like... (laughs) Well, I certainly hope he's more innocent than you are. Fair. That was absolutely fair and well done. Well done. Well done, Gabby. You want to take us over to Susan's? So Susan is walking around her house, just looking a wreck, listening to voicemails. And she gets one from Lynette saying she needs to come to poker because she has dirt on Maisie Gibbons. And then gets one from Mike that's like, please take my calls. She deletes it and Julie comes downstairs and is, you know, like, mom, are you okay? And Susan says, it's just basically a borderline fling. Who are you kidding, Susan? Everybody knows since you laid eyes on him, it was nothing anywhere near a fling. So Julie's getting ready to leave and go spend the weekend with Carl and offers to stay. Of course she does. And Susan doesn't take her up on the offer, which 
you know, that's good of her to allow Julie to go have a nice weekend with. I think it was more because she wanted the opportunity to close the door and crumble behind it. And she needed Julie to get the hell out of the house so that she could fall apart. Yeah, absolutely. Then not having the space to do that or, you know, being not protective because we've seen some other ways in which we are uncomfortable with the way that Julie Julie has had to be there for her mom and that her mom really needs to figure some of this out on their own and having worked with students whose parents relied entirely too much on them and and seen that trauma. Mm -hmm. It's really hard for me to, to encourage this relationship that's happening between Susan and Julie, that seems unfair to Julie. So I am grateful that she wants that space to, yeah, like you said, fall apart. So, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm grateful for Julie because why should, she just shouldn't, life shouldn't be that hard when you're 14. Life is hard enough when you're 14. It shouldn't, you shouldn't have to have have adult things brought on you either. So for sure, for sure. So Susan gets to crumble and then let's go to the country club. What's going on at the country club? Anything exciting? Okay, first, it's in my notes. I have to say it. Maybe it's not okay for me to say this, but does Susan not wear a bra? Like, I feel like her boobs are like put her pushed up just fine, but she's nipping out in this. I just don't understand. All the time. Does nobody ever see it? Or is it just gratuitous and we want to see it? Because fuck you, censors. You can't do that to me. Yeah. I don't know. That's a great question. I know people have nipples and there's whatever, but I just, it was distracting for me. I don't know. She freed the nips. My puritanical um, problems are showing right now, I guess. Sorry. Right. Yes, I'll take us to the country club. At the country club, Rex is still feeling sluggish, and his doctor, who he apparently was supposed to play tennis with, but he couldn't, um, doesn't understand why the meds aren't working. Bree sees that Tish is fluttering around with some type of gossip and calls her over and tells her not to be selfish. And Tish spills that Maisie has been arrested for prostitution and that there is a little black book with the names of all her clients. Dun, dun, dun. So I have to ask, is this, I feel like they haven't talked about prostitution per se with Bree. Did Bree know that her husband paid Maisie for sex because at one point she thought she was having an affair. Right. And I don't feel like Maisie, you know, Maisie says, you know, he still loves you very much. He just has other needs. I don't, I think she was just shy of saying he pays me for sex. Right. But it didn't, but Brie didn't look shocked by it. No. So I feel she, I feel she did know the the real deal because we would have seen some shock on her face. Okay. All right. Yeah, I agree. So I just wondered. If we're not Although when they were going to therapy, they were ta- she was talking about it like he cheated on her, which I think is very – he had sex with somebody else, but I think if he's going to a prostitute, that's different than cheating on somebody in the sense of it's not an affair. There's nuance to this. Whether or not that is fidelity or infidelity, I think for Brie, it, it's the same. Like this is, this is, a, bre- this is a breach of – this is a betrayal. This is a breach of trust. Mm-hmm. And that it doesn't matter for her that it's not emotional for right. Rex, that it's a, a need that a need and a desire that he's getting satisfied in a way. And I don't know if that's better or worse, but for her, it's definitely infidelity. Mm-hmm. So, you know, because I'm just shallow, I guess I'm pointing out people's nipples and other things. I thought Bree's lip gloss was on point. I didn't notice her lip gloss because I was very distracted by her pigtails. Okay. Now that's fair too. In Tina Fey's book, it was a real reminder to me. It's like, hey, you want to be taken seriously? 
you're don't don't repeat and don't say oh don't be selfish tell me the gossip if you no. want to be seriously I was just, that didn't seem very Brie-ish. like that that seemed like more of an Edie line to me fair enough it, it delivered in a more sophisticated way than I guess were but Edie would have wanted the dish too and you know what apparently everybody does because that's how uh Lynette thinks she's going to entice Susan to come to poker even though she's depressed that's true that's very true So Brie asks Rex if he thinks that information will get out. And of course it will, Brie. Good news travels fast. Mm -hmm. Bad news travels faster, says Mary Alice. Right. So then we head over to the Scavo house and Tom is there and helping. Yes. Pull those bugs out of those boys' hair. And I remember right before going away to summer camp, I don't know how old I was, probably like seven or eight. I remember getting lice and I had really long, thick hair. And I remember the night before summer camp being up all night and my mom combing through my hair and doing that God awful shampoo and pulling, pulling lice bugs out. And so thank God the boys have short hair, but, and also nice of Tom to help. Nice of Tom to help. Appropriate for Tom to help, but isn't it, we call it nice because we've seen him be totally inappropriate before about Mm -hmm. the rearing of his children. And yeah, you're absolutely right. And while they're doing this, Tammy, another mom, calls to tell them that Topher's birthday has been canceled due to the measles. I know that you can still get it, but I'm like, is this a call to Tammy and her kid being anti-vax? I don't know. <laughs> like, I guess I see that now through a 2022 lens. Yeah. Like, how's she getting, how are we getting the measles? I gotta know. Right. I wonder if you could have said it back then because people weren't as... Up on there, what vaccines mean. Like, I know I got the MMR vaccine, but like, I think I still probably had thought I could get the measles my whole life and didn't realize no, the measles have been like eradicated basically. Well, I had them anyway, but even a few years into my career, we had multiple students who were out on uh, pertussis, whooping cough, and they were all vaccinated. And they were like, man, the year that they were all born the same year, right? So they're like, man, that was a really weak, um, bad strand of vaccine. Dang. So, I mean, fair enough. And it was, it was multiple of them to the point that they were encouraging those of us who were older, like, you know, maybe go get your, what's it called? Your titers. Is that right? When you find out whether or not you're still immune to something. And so oh. lots of people did, the teachers did go and find out whether or not they were still immune because it would be significantly harder on some of them, again, that had comorbidity. Hmm. So interesting. Look at all this vax knowledge we have here on this podcast. Thank you, COVID, for educating me further. <laughs> Over at Paul's house, Edie gives wait, back. Wait. Oh, Sorry. Hold on. You got to pause. We got to go back to the Scavos because... Oh, I had something for the Scavos too. Yeah. Good job. Go back. Tom says... So Lynette says, well, at first it's a birthday party. The next it's good. She, Tammy would fly in a specialist from Switzerland before she would cancel this party with all the money they spent. First it's a birthday party. Then it's going to be campouts and pool parties. And Tom says, why does everything have to be a conspiracy theory with you? I feel this because my husband and I will have conversations about things that I'll make a prediction about, or I'll say, well, this is kind of how this feels to me. And he'll say, well, you have no evidence of that. And I'll say, I'm not very often wrong on these types of things. Mm -hmm. Lynette knows. Lynette knows how things work as a mom of kids who engage with other kids. She knows once your kid becomes the dirty kid who Mm -hmm. gives everybody lice, if you let that get out, it's going to stick with your kid for a long time. Like she knows it. 
and she's worked very, very hard to get them into the school. It's not like her kids can just go to any school. Apparently they have have some special needs that need to be addressed and they're in. And if they don't get to stay or it becomes a situation where you wouldn't want them to stay, what's going to happen next? We're certainly not going back to a homeschool debate. And I think your use of the word engaged there, like engaged parenting is really spot on because she's the one engaging in the parenting. And Tom wouldn't necessarily know these things because he's not as engaged of a parent. No. And I wasn't saying it like, I think it's right. Like, I don't think a kid should be, you know, socially ostracized because of it, but it happens more than you think it does. Like, yes. so anyway. No, that's fair. That's what I thought. Also, I needed to share that Topher is the name of Tammy's son, whose birthday it is. I was maybe two weeks ago years old when I found out that Topher can sometimes be the name you use when you named your child Christopher. And I say that married to somebody named the name married to someone named Christopher. Did you know that Topher is a shortened version of Christopher? Only as you were saying that did I go, oh, it's the back half. We're so used to using the front half of the name. It's the back half. So you were today years old. Mm-hmm. Yay! Yeah, no, Topher's like in, you know, that 70s oh. show that like... Topher Grace, right? Yeah. Fair and totally, and I say that again, married to somebody named Christopher. And so now I feel like I want to start calling him Toe sometimes. I also don't know why he's named Christopher because his brothers are named Mark and Matt. I'm like, so why are you not Luke or John? Yeah. Okay. So at Paul's house, Edie gives back all the documents since Paul has decided not to sell the house because he's kind of being blackmailed by his own child. She tries to get back his house key, but she can't find it. She makes a joke about, oh, maybe I'll just keep it. And yeah, Paul looks, it's so cringe the way Paul looks. You know, he doesn't know what to say to that. Uh, Luckily for him, Felicia arrives and gives back Edie's- Wait. Oh, what? Wait. Her response though is, I know your wife's been dead six months, but lighten up. Sorry, did I yada, yada, yada right over the <laughs> dark joke? Yeah, I know your wife's been dead like, and all. Jesus, Edie, like, come on. Oh, poor Edie. She can't find her lens. So then but, Felicia. Yeah, but luckily for Paul, Felicia arrives to give back Edie's necklace that her sister borrowed and said went down the drain so she could keep it. And I just, Martha Hoover all over. And I love Edie saying, I miss how we used to steal from each other. Like so nostalgic for having her stuff swiped by her friend. And she seems genuine about that, but I can't help but be sad about it, is that the only female friend you had in this neighborhood or only friend you had in the neighborhood was awful to you. And I'm so sad. Yes. Yes. That we take the love we think we deserve. And I think Edie deserves better love than that. She does. She also could give better love as well. Which she hears. She hears that. Yeah. So Paul and Felicia start talking about the murder and talking about how will they have a suspect, Mike Delfino. And Felicia's like, oh, come on. I think that was a setup. Leaving blood-covered things in your garage? Is that what you would do, Paul? And and I'm like, she knows. Yes, she so does. He's so sus. You you can help but notice, right? No. And she's so obvious, too, because then she turns to Edie and is like, oh, I know an antique jewelry store you'd love in Salt Lake City. Have you ever been? Which Edie says, like, I try to avoid Utah. Those hurt my people. And then she- No shade, Utah. No shade. No, Utah's freaking beautiful. Go hike the Narrows. It's wonderful there. But 
Felicia asks Paul if he's ever been to Salt Lake City and tells him he should go. She is so on to him. And I just, I just wish she would be outright like, brother, I know you shot him. I know you killed my sister. I know it. I wish she would just come out and say it. But all of her little alluding to it is fun as well. Yes. And Paul saying that he's never been there. And Felicia said, you should go there. I used to live there when I was a nurse. And Paul definitely should go sometime. And she, you're right. She's just dropping all these breadcrumbs. Like, I have your number. It's your time is coming and I will be the one to give you your comeuppance. And yeah. I am so there for that. And again, Harriet Sampson Harris doing a fantastic job here. I just could not imagine anybody delivering it. Again, it's like this faux pleasantness and and smugness. And I love every bit of it. Yeah, she definitely does this character right. I'm glad we get more of her. I'm glad we get more of her in this show. In Frasier, they call her Lady Macbeth without the sincerity, which is really saying something. And I just, every time I I look at her as this character, I'm like, yeah, you're not different. Like you might be getting typecast, but you are damn good at it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So over at the Solis house, we see that Gabby is taking neck down showers and brushing her teeth at Lynette's house. She's actually not at the Solis house because there's no plumbing there. She's at the Scavo house bathing in the sink. Right. I've done that in like a subway bathroom before. When we, oh, wow. Yeah. We went to college bowl game and okay. stayed in a motorhome in a parking lot <laughs> oh, nice. in the stadium. And there was a subway in the parking lot, like in the strip mall. And I'm not really big on a motorhome shower, yeah. especially not when you're in a motorhome with like six other people. So mm-hmm. I definitely did the sh- sink shower in the subway bathroom. It's not easy. It's not easy, especially if you're trying to stay classy like Gabby is. So and you have to do it in secret. Yeah. She's in the house. Right. Right. So all the girls are getting a Maisie update from Edie and she t- Wait, is it from Edie or from Lynette? I think it's kind of being passed around a little bit. Oh. I think both Edie and Lynette have a piece of it and they're kind of... Back and forth. Um, yeah, it's like almost like a meet cute story. It's choreographed very, very well. Okay. They tell the girls that Maisie's going to give up the black book and we can just see Brie just squirming in her seat. As a poker player, I love all of the poker-centric, but applying to other things analogies that are happening here. What just happened? The stakes were raised. And Brie says, I fold. Like, I have no idea what to do here. I'm not going to go any further in on this hand. I don't care how much I have invested. I'm going to play this one as safe as I possibly can, even if there's a possibility that I could win it. And it's this moment where Brie, who is usually very in control of her situation, is feeling very, very vulnerable. And yet it's still going to hold it that close to the vest. She's not going to show her cards. And I think that works on multiple levels. In particular, I also enjoy the moment after all the ladies have left. And it's clear that Edie has cleaned up at this poker table. And she says, yeah, I had crap cards all day, but I was bluffing. And she learned to be a great bluff from her first husband. Her, one of her husbands. One of her husbands. I don't feel like it was her first husband. I feel like Edie's not going to fake orgasms for just anybody. So it was her first marriage and she's trying to make it work. (laughs) Um, Not that she should. Anyway, not my, not, uh, not going to further demean Edie in any way, but she should get what she needs out of relationships. And hopefully she's learned that since first husband. But it also comes that she says, 
why didn't Susan come? And well, that lies badly. And she said, oh, well, you don't have to learn how to bluff. You must be getting all of your needs satisfied. Tell me why she won't come. And she says, Susan is upset about the breakup. And I don't think she really wants that shared with you because you're not really your friend. And that's, that was, she's like, I'm her friend. Of course I'm her friend. And Lynette is like, no, you're, you kind of are a shithead to her, which it's true. Yes. And good for you for pointing it out and not beating around the bush. Like, yeah, this is an area in which you could afford to be a little bit more sympathetic. And good for Lynette, because I think that's hard because it's obvious that Lynette and Edie are cool with each other. Right. I mean, I think that they kind of speak the same language in that Lynette's cutthroat, which we learn over and over, like every four episodes, we see something that reminds us that Lynette is cutthroat. And I think that she probably appreciates Edie's lack of bullshit. Yeah, I I guess. But I appreciate when you're like the center person with two different friends that are not maybe as good of friends, I think it can be easy to be passive and not stand up for one because you're protecting your relationship with the other one. And I really liked that Lynette was like, you're not nice to her. Like Lynette told it like it was, which I think speaks to who Lynette is. But I also think it speaks to Lynette appreciates her friendship with Susan. And I was, I was glad to see her stand up for Susan because it doesn't really seem like many people are. Yeah, I agree. And I do also like that Edie delivers one of my favorite lines, which is what if you want to be supportive, but you just can't stand listening to people, bitch, which has nothing to do with me. I, I think I'm incredibly good at just listening because I don't have a lot of ideas of how to fix this because I'm not your therapist. I'm really good at listening. It's Mm -hmm. not about not wanting to hear people complain or or, uh, vent. It's just a well-received line for me. It's like, yeah. it makes perfect sense that she doesn't like to hear people bitch. She's onward and upward. I feel like that's Edie's motto, like onward and upward, like pull up your bootstraps and let's let's go on to the next thing. She doesn't want to hear somebody complain, which that sometimes is being a friend. Yeah, I agree. And so maybe she'll take some steps. And I think she does take some steps in this episode to ameliorate that. Yes, agree. So over at the Young House, Paul is digging through a box of VHS tapes. So nostalgic. Although still my heart. I know, but I was like, where's your drawer? Didn't you have the two, like the <laughs> double drawer thing that like your VCR rested on? That yes. had to, yeah, I was like, you seem like you would be more organized with your VHS. Or your Just, wife would have been. And I don't think you've undone everything she's done to make that home livable. True, true, true. So he finds a cassette that says Angela's award mm-hmm. video or something on the, on the tape. And it says Utah. It says Utah, yeah. Angela's award party. Yes. Claire's Pops it in. And of course it's footage from the middle of an award thing where everybody's like standing there panning. I didn't, did, I didn't catch what the award said. Did you? Best employee or employee of the year. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So of course she's, you know, receiving the award and right next to her. With a different haircut mm-hmm. is Felicia. Felicia <laughs> so Paul's like, Paul's like, well, shit. <laughs> yes. And it's the same. I think it's the same recognition that Felicia had when she was going through her memory albums, her photo albums and says, yeah, that's right. That's her right there. And now Paul has had that. He's like, great. That's her right there. Great. Yes. Mm. Over at Gabby and Carlos's house, they are in the hot tub, bathing, shaving and doing the laundry. Such a great way to use your resources, I guess. 
So when our pilot light went out or was it, no, the hot water heater went out, I used the Keurig to make hot water to clean a couple of things like the dishes that I needed to do or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody was like, why didn't you just boil water? I'm like, Fair enough. But it would have taken too long. And then the water got, the water would get hot or cold when I needed it to be hot. So man, we made a lot of hot water in that Keurig, not to clean myself, but to clean the very few things that I absolutely had to clean in 24 hours before we got a new hot water heater. So I wish I had had a hot tub at that point. Although a hot tub has chlorine in it. I wondered that. Is that, do you, but just maybe they didn't put chlorine that time. I don't know how to take care of a hot tub. Do you not, it's just in there. Like, in, no, you have chemicals. It? You have to like pour. Okay. When we bought this house, there was a hot tub, but it had been left. It didn't get winterized. And so like okay. it was cracked. So we paid a bunch of money to get it fixed the first year. And then I don't know, the next year it like cracked again or something like we did what we were supposed to do, but it kid just kept not working. So we never really got into a routine of how to take care of a hot tub. Yes. But you have to put chemicals in it. Otherwise it gets slimy in there. Okay. Okay. So if they're not putting the chemicals in, it's getting slimy. Also, if you're sitting in your hot tub, like the only stuff that should be going in your hot tub is a clean person. Like you don't even want to climb in your hot tub with lotion on and people who have hot tubs, you would have a better idea than me because again, I never got into the routine of it. But like, if you would get into the hot tub with lotion on, like you would get this like slimy film because it doesn't. Yeah. Which is probably why you have to put chemicals in it. So regularly they're putting shaving cream when you shave the little bitty hairs. Yeah. Like, ew, ew, ew. And then you're going to do your laundry in that. Exactly. So either you're (laughs) washing your laundry in stubble and shaving cream, or you're washing it in chlorine, which there's a reason people don't go swimming in their nice clothes, right? Yucky. Yeah. Yeah. That just was surprising to me, but that was also a big ass hot tub. It was. I agree. Huge. Very large. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Too big. I mean, not because, you know, have whatever you want if you have the money to have it. But I, I was like, that is the big, that's a pool that you've turned into. <laughs> slash bathtub slash sink slash laundromat. Yeah. <laughs> oh, over at Barclay Academy, Lynette visits a school nurse to announce that the boys are lice free. It seems like she's doing so somewhat apologetically. I'm sorry yes. you had to deal with this because and it seems so sincere, I feel like. Nice. And she talks about how her kids get a bath every day. She seems very concerned that the nurse one had to do all this work and two that maybe she thinks she doesn't take care of her kids. And it just, I'm not getting that from this nurse whatsoever. She said that, you know, it only spreads from human to human contact that petting zoo you took them to had nothing to do with it. It, it wasn't the iffy llama's fault. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's the llama. Oh, I said petting zoo. Yeah. That's at a petting zoo, right? No, um, it's that it was the petting zoo. There was an iffy llama. Got it. Okay. <laughs> and the nurse really is consoling her that Kids just get lice. And I appreciate the non-judgmental and everything working out. Lynette also, you know, her, then she tells Lynette, I can also tell you patient zero was not you. And it's actually another little boy who's had this problem four times. And then Lynette seizes. She cannot let this go. She needs that child's name because her children are going to be blamed for this. And I just can't let that happen. And the nurse refuses. But when Lynette says that the twins have already been uninvited from Tover's birthday party, the nurse tells her to have a seat because that has struck a certain chord with her. Do private schools have different 
laws related to privacy? Not with FERPA or HIPAA. They are still subject to the same. Whether or not they continue to have the same ongoing education and so that they maintain best practices in terms of that. But no, they are still subject to the same HIPAA. Well, it's FERPA, not HIPAA. But yeah. well, with the nurse, it might also be HIPAA. No, that is not okay for that nurse to share that information. Yeah, that's... I. As a person in education, you get that every once in a while. Typically, I mean, I don't, I was never a school nurse, but like as a classroom teacher calling a parent about behaviors, you always get that. Well, who's the other kid? Mm -hmm. You know, and you cannot, you don't ever share that. Even when you want to say to a parent, your kid's hanging around with somebody that's, it's, I'm watching it and it's literally the other kid bringing out the worst in your kid. You, you just can't say that. You can't do it. So, absolutely to your credit, right, is that you can't and shouldn't and all sorts of things. But even when your kid is the aggressor, like my kid called another kid a loser, I wanted to call the other parent and apologize profusely. And they wouldn't tell me. So I had to, I had to make sure that my daughter would tell me again, not because I wanted, I don't know, you know, I didn't want to invade the other child's privacy. I wanted the other parent to know that is not okay with me and that she was being punished. So the teacher relayed that information to the other parent for me. And then I felt really badly that I was making the teacher do an extra step. But so yeah, privacy is taken very, very seriously. There are plenty of times where parents want to, they ask, you know, send like the assistant principal or whatever to, we'll get those other parents in here. Like they want to have a, oh yeah, a power. I'd say a conversation, but in some cases, it's not a conversation that they're looking for. It's something different. But like when we would write an office referral, if it was multiple kids involved, you can't even write the name of another kid on mm-hmm. one kid's referral. Like there's just, they needed to have a person in education in the writing room anytime there's a scene with a school. Cause I feel like they're messing it up a yep. little bit every time. Representation, very important. Yes. I'll take us to the jail, right? So Please. at the, at the- Fairview County Jail, Bree goes to see Maisie and she brings a gift basket of muffins. And I'm here for that basket of muffins because I think we've now used that as almost a coy euphemism for wanting something or expecting something in return. And she does. She absolutely does. She would like Maisie to please or take Rex's name out of her little black book. And Maisie said, those better be some pretty good muffins. Um, and then Bree offers up some cash instead. Yeah, uh, to f- further entice her, that she tells her that she has fourteen thousand dollars, and she is more than willing to give that those funds to Maisie. However, that's not going to work. One, Maisie says that if I did it for you, I'd have to do it for all the other wives, and also that's a crime. Yes, obstruction of justice. It's tampering with evidence. All of the things. So you know, right. again. Does Maisie even still have access to the black book? That seems to be the other issue. She couldn't do it if she wanted to. Right. But if anything, maybe she could have done the scam artist thing of taking the muffins and the $14,000 without you know being able to give her that in return. But nonetheless, they have a, a more interesting conversation, I feel like, about where were you if you're such a good friend to me? Because Bree says, you know, why you would you want to do this to me anyway? We used to be good friends. And mm-hmm. Maisie said, yeah, where were you when my husband lost his job and we could barely pay our bills? And Maisie, or er, um, Bree, in, I think, genuine and sincere language says, I didn't want to embarrass you. I didn't offer to help. I didn't show up with muffins then because I didn't want to embarrass you. And Maisie said, it was worse. The silence was worse. And 
I feel for both of them in this situation because yeah, you're drowning and it would be, you know, for some people they want help and for some people they want you to ignore the problem altogether and pretend it didn't happen. And it can be hard to show up for your friends. And I don't know how close they were, but it can be hard to show up for your friends who you're close to without making them feel some type of way. So I, I feel for both of them. I do too. And I think that we, I think as people, like we are used to showing support in the way that we would want it. And for Brie, a hundred percent, I don't think she wants anybody to mention anything because she doesn't want to be embarrassed, but that's not the love language that all of her friends would have. We did a seminar with a consultant one time when I first started at, at the school that I used to work at, where the woman, a lot of it was ridiculous. So there was a ridiculous amount of money spent on a lot of talking But something productive that did come out of it was like just the thought of when someone's having a bad day, instead of going in and trying to do what you would do, what you would want, you know, that whole men are from Mars, women are from Venus thing, like Mm -hmm. men might treat it this way, women might treat it this way. Instead of going in with your toolkit that you would want someone to use with you, stopping yourself and saying like, how do you want me to listen right now? Do you want me to listen? Do you want me to just be the basket? And you like, you just say everything and I'll just take it. Do you want me to, do you want me to listen and poke holes in what you're saying? Do you want me to be, do you want me to be supportive? Do you want me to be pro you? Do you want me to be devil's advocate? Like, do you want me to help you find a solution? Like, how do you need to be heard right now? And I think that is a good way to think about when you're trying to support a friend in friendships, taking yourself and how you would want to be treated out of it. If you can't, if you know the person well enough to know, even though this isn't what I would want, I know this is what they would want. And so this is how I'm going to support them. I think that that's a good way to be able to support somebody when they need you and cut through that bullshit of it being embarrassing or whatever, because you're giving them, it's almost like you're, you have an IEP for your friendship where you know, these are the supports and accommodations that that person needs that are different than your friendship with this other person. So, I mean, I think that's a pretty evolved way to think about it, which we're not going to get in a show like this in 2005, but fair enough. I think that that's kind of where Maisie was going with it was that's not what I needed. Like you thought you needed to do it this way. And that's not what I, that's not what I needed. So one of the best mentors I think I've ever had in my life. One of the things that I, two of the, I guess the two pieces that I learned from them that I think have been most impactful for me are what does a perfect solution to this look like for you? Mm. Can you tell me what that looks like and how can I show up for you right now? And I, I feel like both of those questions are quick to the point and they can just say, yeah, I don't want any feedback. I don't want any notes on what I can do better. I just want you to hear me, right? Or I want you to solve this or I want somebody to give me options. So I think that those two were, yeah, were possibilities. And I think Brie will grow from this. I really do think she will. But I am not at all upset when... She and Maisie get to the end of this conversation and Maisie said, well, you know what? You get credit for just showing up. You get credit for just coming. None of the other women have. I've been abandoned. And she is so dismissive about this and that it makes me sad for her is that that I think you're really, there's hematomas on top of hematomas here. There's a ton of scarring. Nobody showed up for you. And the only person who did came because they needed something. And you know, that's trauma. I agree. And hurt people hurt people. So she's trying to get another pound of flesh in here. But Brie gets it right back to her in terms of you're not being abandoned because you're a whore. Because that's what Maisie said. She's like, you know what? I guess that's what I get for being the town whore. And Brie's like, nope. I want you to know from the bottom of my heart, that is not the case. It's because you were never really that nice. Which 
we saw that's why Lynette was taking the kids Adderall. Yep. It was because of Maisie, right? Mm-hmm. Wasn't Maisie the one that was just yes. Awful. expecting superhuman parenting from Lynette? So she, we've seen her not be very nice. Right. Right. And it's not lost and it's not lost on me that Maisie won't have to do the work of giving her back that basket because Bree's going to walk out with that basket and the muffins. She sure is. I hope she gave muffins to the people working the front desk. Like I hope she There it is. Out, There's you know? the moment. Yeah. Oh, that would have been good. Yeah. Yeah. Hand one to the guard at the door. Yes. They get nothing. I feel yeah. I feel that. Thank you. Writing yeah. that down. Do it. People that I need to recognize in my community for doing great work. Love it. Let's get him some cupcakes from Sugar Jones if you can get there before they close. So there was a bit of, oh, that's a good inside joke. Um, <laughs> so the and you won't even get it until after this episode is released, but okay, fine. So something that got kind of lost in here is because they did one of those ADHD problems yeah. for me is that they start at the Fairview County Jail and yeah. Brie going to see Maisie and then they stop and go to something else and then they go back. We covered all of that, but we should circle back to... Gabby. Out, out for a jog. Yeah. Gabby sees a porta potty and gets an idea. She moves it to their house and Carlos is like delighted. He laughs and says, This is stuff like this is why I love you. Mm-hmm. So again, I have an issue with what Gabby's wearing running. Nothing about that seems comfortable. Also, take it. Also, I'm surprised. I know that. You go for a run because you want to stay fit, because you enjoy it. Also because your mental health needs it sometimes. Like there have been plenty of times where I have gone out and run because if I didn't, I would throat punch somebody. So I get get it for Gabby. But when you don't have indoor plumbing at your house, that's probably a good time to take like a couple days break from going for a run. Yes, you need to do everything possible to maintain the the hygiene that you already have. And jogging is not going to help with that, right? No, and dry shampoo was not a thing in 2005, I'm confident. Maybe somebody had like figured out a way to like make it before it became a thing. But I don't ever remember hearing about dry shampoo in 2005. So I don't want to say you're wrong, but I will tell you that in Laverne and Shirley, they talk about something called quickie poo, which is that you don't have time to shampoo. So you put this in your hair. So I feel like there were precursors wow. to that, but maybe we didn't call it dry shampoo. I love it. I love it. And pre and obviously Laverne and Shirley predates <laughs> Desperate Housewives. Yes. Oh my gosh, I'm being attacked. Yes. I think that I would be terrified to try to move a... Sorry. I literally have like... I love this. Like a rabid dog, like huge jaws coming from my face. Stop it. See it. Yeah. See it. Wild kingdom over here. Stop. Here, chew on my arm. You're not going to like how it tastes. This episode brought to you by Bitter Apple Spread. (laughs) If we had, okay, if we had like a sponsor, we would be really in need of a sponsor for uh, doggy classes or something. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Doggy sitters. That's going to leave a mark. But I would be terrified to push a porta potty from a job site to my house. Yes, oh my gosh, yeah. I would be the person where it would spill on me. And, and somebody's going to see me. Yes. The things these people do, I've said this before. The things these people do in broad daylight in this neighborhood, plot holes, guys. Yes. I know it works for production, but the rest of us can't always suspend disbelief. Right. Yeah. Yes. Agree. Agree. Oh, what's next? Going over to Susan's. 
So over at Susan's, Edie arrives to find Susan decluttering. And this is the way that I express my stress too, is that if I have 5,000 things to do and I don't want to do them because they're overwhelming me, you know what? It's time to go through every towel in this house and figure out if I like it or not. Edie yes. says that she she promised, she knows you're upset. She's really trying to be supportive here. She knows you're upset and don't worry, I won't be dating Mike, though I will be sleeping with him because some mountains are just meant to climb. Some mountains are just meant to climb. I wrote that down. I, I thought that was a really funny Edieism, but I don't think that she really meant it. I do think she wrote, oh, yeah, no, she's good. so, yeah, she totally meant that. I do not think she was being funny. I just, I wanted her to not mean it. <laughs> okay, that I will take. And if she were really trying to be a better person, maybe not. But Edie says that Susan needs to get dressed and get wasted with her. And that's how she will show up for her. And I think that that really does bring both of these things together. This is Edie's strength. She knows how to have a good time and she is going to use it to be supportive. So I really think that Susan needs to meet her halfway. In Susan's condition, I would need a shower. She said, you know, Edie tells her to go fix her skincare. Yeah. yeah, I get it. I would need an hour. And are you just going to sit at my house while I get ready for an hour? Because that's going to make me feel like I really need to rush and I'm already depressed and that's going to give me anxiety. But I Plus, appreciate I don't that. Know that I'm gonna let you, I don't know that I'm going to let you sit at my house for an hour when you know that I accidentally burned your house down. Oh, gosh. <laughs> you're going to burn my yeah. house down while I'm showering. I'm pretty sure you're going to mess with my stuff. Oh, that's perfect. And so this brought me to what I call the hangover nanny and a breakup nanny idea. I think I might have stolen this from Stassi Schroeder, if you are familiar with the Vanderpump rules or anything like that. She talks about needing a breakup nanny, somebody to come live with you and make you eat and make you do things when you don't want to because you've had a breakup. So I really think that Edie is doing the breakup nanny job here. I would also say that after like four glasses of wine, I need a hangover nanny the next day. Somebody who's going to make me have some electrolytes and maybe make me a green smoothie and make sure that I eat it. A green smoothie? Yes. You need to get all of that back. You need all of that back. Girl, our hangover magic at this house is a blue Gatorade. Okay. Two Advil and a cheeseburger from McDonald's. My problem is I wake up too early and McDonald's won't serve me a cheeseburger. I need it now. Burger King will. Burger King? Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. I'll serve you an early burger. It's not as good, in my opinion. My husband would fight me on this, but a McDonald's cheeseburger, a blue Gatorade, and two uh, two leave. Well, listeners, we will have to get me drunk so that I can have a hangover so that we can see which is more effective. And I guess I need a control group too. So let's, let's do it. <laughs> oh gosh. All of our employers. Thank you for listening. Cut to the bar. Love the Billy Ocean. Yes. Oh, here for it. I'm so here for everything that's happening. And it's like, it's kind of the, is it the same maybe place that they went with that, yes. the bull riding? I think so. It, it looks it. like it. It's a saloonish yeah. looking thing. Yeah. yeah. Like you had to kick the door open with your boot to get in. And, and you have peanut shells on the floor. Thank you. Oh my gosh. We're the same person. Thank <laughs> you. I needed that. <laughs> and I love that there's the loose lips, Susan, because I'm that person too. She tells mm-hmm. Edie about Dana and that Mary Alice was being blackmailed, that all of this stuff happening. And Edie says, what the hell is happening on our street? <laughs> what kind of street do we live on? 
I love though that Edie's got a shot and a beer and Susan's got her white wine or whatever. And the bartender comes over and Edie's like, I'm going to be with her all night. So I'm going to need a lot more of this. It takes her shot. That was perfect. I agree. And Edie says that Paul, or well, I guess we start with Susan saying, I know Mike didn't kill Martha Hooper. I know he didn't do it. And Edie says, okay, suppose he didn't, then who did? And she said, Paul Young, he's super sus. Um, and Edie says, you know, that makes sense because Paul was working hard to make Felicia see that it was Mike who killed Martha. And Susan decides, or well, Edie suggests maybe we should go through his house. They're out of town. And Susan is like, yes, let's go do that. Edie says, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. But apparently, yeah, apparently Edie has found the key and has a key to it. They should go do it. Do you buy that Zach Young was on a school trip? With who? Yeah. And I wouldn't imagine Paul being willing to let Zach go do that. Like, I know you're going to be supervised on a school trip, but an overnight one where you, yeah. your son broke out of an inpatient facility, <laughs> found out that your daughter that he thought he killed isn't really dead and he's blackmailing you. And you're going to let that kid go be out in the world for at least 18 hours and overnight. It sounded like an overnight trip. I don't buy that. At the same time, if he's blackmailing you so hard that you can't sell your house now, maybe you have to let him go on this trip or let him go wherever he wants and we're going to call it a school trip. I also don't know what business he has in Mount Pleasant. Yes. Yes. All of it. All of that. So cut back to the country club and Bree and Rex are having dinner and getting the cold shoulder. And Rex still feels like crap because of Mm -hmm. baby George, the pharmacist. Everyone's staring at them and they decide that they think the client list has been released. Mm-hmm. Brie wants to stay there, which surprises me because I feel like Brie is not typically a big fan of an uncomfortable situation. Mm-hmm. Rex is like, please let us just leave. And Brie's like, absolutely not. If you, you should have thought of this before you left that personal check on Maisie's nightstand. Hopefully and he paid in cash, by the way, but nonetheless. <laughs> Personal check sounds better. <laughs> That's true. Rex, Rex, it was embellished to, for the sake of the story. Rex stands up and Brie is like, if you so much as leave, I will scream and just kind of blackmails him into sitting back down. Blackmail running rampant on the lane lately. What does that say about in a show that was marketed for women? That all we do is blackmail people all day long. Right. Emotional or otherwise, you know? Yeah. So Brie gets Rex to sit back down even though like neither one of them want to be there. No. And that's the worst. But I've also been that they're going to eat veal. Right. All right. And I've been in that situation before where I want to get the hell out, but I don't know how to leave without making it a bigger thing that I'm leaving. Like it's easier to just sit there and like, hope you become invisible than leave and have it be even more of a thing. Nope. I completely agree. And at the same time, she says she's going to scream about this and maybe we're supposed to suspend disbelief again, but is there any chance that people didn't hear her as she's extraordinary, you know, blackmailing her husband and that face she's making? Not a chance. Those tables are legit close together. They were not six foot social distance. (laughs) No, you'd think at a place that probably costs as much as this does, it would be uh, easier to get some space. Right. Mm. Where'd we go next? So over at 
Paul's house. Susan and Edie are snooping through things. And Susan is so drunk. She's like drunk Nancy Drew right now. It's awful. <laughs> Edie stubs her toe and it miraculously happens upon the Utah Angela's award party tape and puts it in. So they do and they put it in and they can see Angela slash Mary Alice, but Paul comes home early so they don't see Felicia. And at first, Susan and Edie are hiding, but Edie, she takes one for the team, man. She comes out to distract Paul. Yes. <laughs> I was just thinking, I was going to give you back your key in the middle of the night when I'm not here. You're right. I came because I'm just so attracted to you. I wasn't kidding the other day. And Edie goes in for it and starts making out with Paul to distract him. And I just have to say, whether I don't necessarily agree with the choice, but Edie's showing up for Susan. She is. Yes. She is like, I will make out with this creeper who I'm confident has murdered (laughs) one person and I'll wave my friend out while I'm like, yes. Yes. And Susan, Susan sneaking out on all fours, of course, that she's such, she's such a master of the physical comedy. Yes. does very well at this. And Mike sees her sneaking out and follows her. Um, Meanwhile, Edie's back in Paul's house trying to like, okay, well, that's enough for tonight. And now Paul's all about it. And I'm like, man, how far is she going to have to take this? That sucks. Right. But we know she'll do it. She'll do what she needs to do. Fair enough. She is a survivor, right? She's a survivor. Um, so Susan lets Mike have it. Mm-hmm. As he tells her, there was no right moment to tell you. And she was like, when we went out for pizza, when we were at the movies, watching a movie where somebody kills somebody, you could be like, I've done that. Too. Like she... I was so proud of her. She just lets it all go. And Mike offers to tell her what happened. And she says, it doesn't matter because I'm never going to believe you again. So what does he do? He goes in for a non-consensual kiss. So I'm really glad you brought that up. And again, we look at it from a 2022 lens, not a 2005 lens. And perhaps that's unfair, but it does feel infantilizing. It does feel... Annie, get your gunish about, you know, if you don't have anything else to say or they're being ridiculous or hysterical, just kiss them. No, no, informed consent and also, yeah, enthusiastic consent is what I meant to say. And when somebody's not wanting to be with you because you have murdered or you're suspected of murdering someone. Or that you're just lying to them. You've breached their trust. That's not when you decide you're going to steal a quick kiss. Yeah. And I do mean steal. Yes. So I'm upset that, you know, I guess maybe better or worse, it was both a female writer and a female director. So I can't even say that it's because there was no representation. There was there was a representation mm-hmm. here. And still, I think we fell into this trope. And I think that that's just a very 2005 thing. And it brings to mind um, Susan Douglas and enlightened sexism. She would talk about, you know, my students are mostly women, incredibly smart, and they're, you know, booking it out of here every day to go watch 90210, which they know is not representative of a female experience. It's not representative of, of so many things that we work against. She's like, so some things can just be entertaining. And this show found a market. Obviously, I love it. That's something that I'm sure will come up at some point is that you know, you guys, that I am really critical of the show, but I love the show. I loved it then and I love it now. Mm-hmm. So it, some things can just be fun. Yes. Yes. Nonetheless. Over at Bree's house, Gabby has used her bathroom and Bree has some questions about it. Gabby will not fess up that she needs the money or that the plumbing is not working. And Bree says, are you having money problems? If you are, I'm a little insulted that Gabby, that you won't confide in me, Gabby. And Gabby said, oh, calm down here. Right. Why is it that you 
feel I should confide in you, but you didn't confide in me that Rex is one of Maisie's clients. Is it because it's happening to someone else that you ding, feel? Ding, that? Ding. Yes. Yeah. Fair. 100% fair. Like that's their whole, their whole friendship is everybody's friend. Like the core four of their friendship is built on talking about everybody else's secrets, but not their own. Like that's, that's something that they said from the beginning after Mary Alice killed herself was that we all need to talk about it. We all need to talk about these things more and they're still not doing it. Right. So, and Gabby is telling Brie how to show up for her in this moment now. And Brie says, okay, well, good luck with your remodel then. Because that's what Gabby said she wanted. And Gabby confirmed for Brie, I think, because that that was the same thing that Brie was saying when she went to see Macy. Like, I didn't want to embarrass you. And Gabby was saying, yeah, you don't, you don't say something. So great friends pretend good friends support each other after they've been humiliated. Great friends pretend nothing happened in the first place. I think what they like, the goal of that isn't to sweep it under the rug. It's to maybe allow somebody to still feel that dignity around other people, but that, but at what cost? Yeah. What cost? So I'm glad we'll be circling back to that. Not too, not too long. Not in the not so distant future. But for now, let's go to the bounce house. Oh, I love a bounce house. Do you do a bounce house? I don't like inflatables. I don't like Oh, okay. Oh, well, then that makes me sad because the only run I would ever potentially do with you is the inflatable fun run. I feel like it's a really good place to burn your skin off going down a slide. I'm never a fan of any run like that, like a butt, like where you go into like the pit of bubbles or. Like a mud run, like I'm freaked out of a mud run. If you're not in the first wave in a mud run, you're a hundred percent going to ingest somebody's blood or snot or spit because people spit when they're running. And when you come yeah. along them in the same mud pit, like it's not unlike my fear of wet band-aids at a water park or a, Oh, that is a thing for me too. I'm yeah, there. Yeah. Thank you. Or a that. piece of hair. Like if you're in a lazy river and like a piece of hair flip, you get it on your arm. No. Thank you for articulating these things because I truly do think I'm just a buzzkill. I just think I'm not fun because I'm like, oh my gosh, there's going to be this there. Right. Yes, exactly. Thank you. Exactly. You're welcome. So I don't judge other people on doing a bounce house, but it's just, it's just not for me. Like it's not for me. So Lynette walks into Topher's party. Like she owns the place. Mm -hmm. I see Topher's made a speedy recovery and she brings him bongo drums, which Yes, Lynette, good on you. Yes. So one of the visiting moms, when the Scavo kids get into the bounce house, she scuttles over and is like, I don't want you playing with those boys. Mm-hmm. So Lynette and Tammy have a little bit of a showdown in the bounce house where Tammy has the nerve to say, well, your boys aren't the cleanest kids on the planet, even though her own kid is patient zero, which we right. found out from the nurse. And I was surprised that Lynette outed the nurse on that. Threw the nurse under the bus. Yes, she did. Yeah, she did. And I get that she probably thinks there's some safety in, I threw the nurse under the bus, but Tammy can't do anything to the nurse without revealing her secret. It was a very the help moment for me where where you can't be the one to say that this all happened because then you're probably the one that ate the poop pie. So maybe she thought there was some security in that. But I also don't get the resolution of this where Tammy's like, I will go tell everybody here that it wasn't your boys that did it. Oh, and then the problem is solved. Yeah, you still did it in the first place. Like you're still willing to make somebody else's kid the sacrificial lamb so that your kid can in good graces with everybody. No kidding. That's cutthroat right there. 
I love that Lynette stands up for her kids, but I don't love that Lynette's like, and F you all, we don't need this. We're leaving kids. I'm going to take you to Disneyland right now. Like if it's because she doesn't want to disappoint her kids, I get that, but I don't know. It's a really tough situation. I don't know how to navigate that one myself, except that I'm glad that Tammy doesn't necessarily, I'm led to believe Tammy's not going to get away with it. And I really don't like it when people don't get their comeuppance. Mm-hmm. including myself. I expect to be held accountable for some crappy things that I've done. Okay, that's fair. So Brie shows up in a gorgeous green dress. Doesn't she? And they both look lovely, especially for one of them not being able to shower. Right, often. right. So Gabby's on the front porch cleaning the table, which I really love that porch and that seating set like that. That'd be a great place to sit and read a book during the non super hot days of the summer, but Bree shows up with a check in an envelope and says, basically like, we don't want to be in the country club anymore. Cause they're, they're not as exclusive as they used to be. We know that's not really why, but right. then she says, good friends offer to help great friends. Don't take no for an answer. So I thought that was a really sweet moment where Bree was like, I, I know you're struggling. I'm not going to let you not let me help. Yes. So, and here's the money. And if you don't do the plumbing with it, doesn't matter. You're, you know, here is the money. Obviously, she's going to do the plumbing with it. And actually, I was wondering about the number because it might be double what she, the six to seven that Mike said he would do the job for. So maybe Mike would get paid on this anyway. Mm-hmm. And it just, there's so much going on here. And I, I love it. I love this for both of them. Mm-hmm. That they can both get their needs met. And that that bond is that strong. Yes. This is not a superficial friendship. This is not a fair weather friendship, Gabby. I'm insisting on helping and I don't want anything in return. Gabby says, I will pay you back. And, and Bree says, you know, take your time. It's not a problem. It's mm-hmm. wonderful that it could be that way. Mm-hmm. All right, Amanda, our production, two truths and a lie. I'm ready. I need a sting for this one. Okay. So my two truths and a lie this week, there is an unaired scene where is how we start this. So uh, which of these is not an unaired scene? Two of these are unaired scenes. One of them I made up out of whole cloth. That's the one you're looking for. Okay. Okay. So is it Susan is crying over Mike, but sticks her head in the freezer so Julie doesn't see her. And when Julie exits the scene, Susan's face is covered in frozen tears. Okay. Carlos, angry at Gabby, taking too long in the porta potty, tries to break in, causing the whole unit to tip over with Gabby inside it. Okay. Or Gabby considers selling the house because they need the money. So she invites Edie over and Edie asks her, has this place always been so orange? And tells Gabby to slap her maid because the banisters are so dirty. I think the third one. Ooh, no, that actually did happen. In the scene, Edie said, I get it. It's ethnic orange, but do you want this place to sell or not? And so real, real problematic there. They did, but they didn't air it. So that is uh, an unaired scene somewhere. Okay. The frozen tears. Nope. that did, They aired that too. But the one I made up was Carlos accidentally tipping over the porta potty. <sighs> I am so sorry. Maybe but that was because of the level of disgust that that inspired in you. <laughs> that you didn't think I'd come up with something that was that gross, but I did. Uh, it happens in Breaking Bad, though, if that helps. Yes. <laughs> Another one of my favorite shows. All right. So let's, uh, let's put this one to bed, shall we? Okay. So, yes, we leave with 
Mary Alice saying, yes, everyone loves a scandal, no matter how big or small. After all, what could be more entertaining than watching the downfall of the high and mighty, which is Carlos in a porta potty in the back backyard? What could be more amusing than the public exposure of hypocritical sinners? And we see Rex. Mm-hmm. Yes, everyone loves a scandal. And if for some reason you're not enjoying the latest one, well, the next one is right around the corner. And Paul finds the Mary Alice slash Angela Utah videotape in, in the couch. couch cushions. We already know he's a murderer. He's going to be angry now. I can't wait to see what, what's next. And where we are headed next week is there won't be trumpets. Okay. All right. Well, until then, I'm Rachel. And I'm Amanda. And thank you for listening to Noisy Fulfillment. Bye.